I thought that uh, when Lafayette started, he was going to do my message. And then he went in a direction. I'm figuring, how's my going to fit in with this? But I believe we'll see how. Um, as you begin to stretch and go into other arenas and allow God to expand you, there's always balance in the Word of God. And because uh, I've, I've stretched sometimes in my earlier life and got in trouble because I stretched into things I didn't need to be in. And there's some places, arenas you can go in that you don't need to go into. And so it's a matter of how do you discern this. And there needs to be order and there needs to be standards in our lives. And I look at it this way. It's an old simple biology lesson I learned back when God founded the, created the earth when I was in biology class. And, um, and the, the biology divides living organisms into two types. There's those that have the skeleton on the inside and those that have the skeleton on the outside. What the skeleton provides is a solid, dependable framework from which your muscles and your sinew and everything else can operate. Because if you took your skeleton out of you, all you would be is a pile of twitching flesh. You could have wanted to come here this morning with all your heart. You could have made a complete commitment of yourself, but you'd still be in bed, which is where some of you may wish you were right now. (laughs) But you're able to come here because when your mind decided to get out of bed or your wife tried to kick you out, you had a skeleton, you had bones in your legs and in your arms that could give your muscles something to move with. And so we do need some structure. We do need some boundaries. Now, the the difference is the lower forms of animals have their skeleton on the outside. And in that case, the skeleton has to be shed periodically because the skeleton that provides that strength is also what limits their growth. And if they don't, the lobster doesn't shed that shell, he's going to burst. But the higher order, which is, is us, right? Well, five of you think you're higher. Okay. <laughs> we're stretching you this morning. No, we're stretching how you see yourself. You're the higher order. Um, our skeleton is on the inside, so it's not to limit our growth, but it's to give stability to that growth. So that's what we're going to begin to talk about today, but in a, in a, in a broader sense. I'm going to start in, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And this is a letter that the Apostle wrote, obviously, to Timothy. It was near the end of his life. Just as Lafayette talked about, his life was poured out. In fact, later on, that's what he talks about. But he's giving a final set of instructions to this young man who is really his son in the faith. This isn't just some missionary out there. This isn't just a pastor of a church. This is his son in the faith, and he's pouring out his heart. He's doing the last of what we heard that first hour. He's pouring the last of himself into this young man that he's poured so much of himself into because he knows his time of departure is coming. And and he knows what what is facing this young man and and he's giving him the advice that he needs. And this chapter starts out by saying, know this. In In the last days, well, if Paul thought they were in the last days then, How much closer to the last days are we now? In the last days, perilous times will come. And I believe it doesn't take a lot of discernment to realize perilous times have come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, a lot of uns there, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, that means proud, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And look at this, verse 5 says, I'm talking about the church. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people, turn away. I think you can agree with me that we are in perilous and confusing times. There are many voices out there. And as Paul says, and none of them without some significance. 
There are many voices in the world. There's philosophies of the world. There's pressure coming at us nowadays through devices that we never dreamed of when I was growing up. We have access at us and to our children in the next generation, 24 hours a day. We can, you can be sitting there right now, and not only somebody can be communicating with you while I'm trying to communicate with you, but you can be doing something that kind of discovered the other day people can do. You can do fact checks while you're sitting in church. Is that really true? And then I found I've done it. <laughs> Is that really true? And you just Google it and look it up and say, well, I'm not so sure that's true. So we have information coming at us, listen carefully, from all different sources. And as Paul says, none of them have no significance. In other words, there's something behind every voice that's speaking to you. And as we explore, as we get outside our comfort zone, as we venture into other arenas, we need to learn how to discern what voices are speaking to us and then and, and, and integrate them into our lives because Paul's talking here to believers, and I don't going to take the time to go back, but in the first letter, he says in these last days, there are going to be many deceived in the church, deceived by doctrines of demons that will try to come into the church. And so with all this confusion out there, with all these voices out there, how can we discern what, the, what truth is? How can we know? Because it can be dressed up in all kinds of packages that can sound good, look good. Uh, one of the most disturbing things is Jesus, in preparing his disciples, says at one point, others are going to come. Be careful, because in those last days, some are going to come saying they're the Messiah. Some are going to come, and you've got to know how to discern who it is. You've got to know how to discern. Don't just listen to what they say. Don't just even look at what they do. But how do you know the difference? How do you know the difference? I want to just quote some scriptures because Isaiah was dealing with a very similar time. Because the, the Israel at that time was, was very much like the church of today. Outwardly, they were, they were professing a worship and a love for God. But inwardly, their hearts were far from him. They were being led away by other philosophies, other ways of looking at other worldviews. And that's the biggest thing we deal with. And Isaiah, God, the Spirit of God speaking to him, spoke these two things. One is in Isaiah 5. He said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. In our terminology today, it's called putting a spin on something. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe for those who are, listen carefully, those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. And then in chapter 59, he, he speaks this. And in this sign, here's how you know things are off. Justice is turned back. And righteousness stands far off. Why? Because truth has fallen in the streets. And equity cannot enter. Therefore, truth fails. So what's the answer to this? Well, Paul goes on to Timothy and shares with him. We're going to pick up down here in verse, um, uh, down here in verse uh, uh, 10. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my love, my perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and out of all, and, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. How many of you have that verse on your refrigerator? <laughs> but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So here's what we must do. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and be assured of them, knowing from who you learn them. It's so important who you listen to. Edwin Cole, as Lafayette's quoted earlier, one of the things he would talk about is be careful whose voices you listen to because there's a spirit behind every voice. And you need to know what the spirit is that's speaking through that voice to you. The words may sound good, they may sound encouraging, but what's behind that? What's the spirit that's behind that? And that's what Paul is talking to Timothy about here. Verse 15. 
that from childhood you have known, and here's the answer, the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation. So with all we have out there, Google and all these books that we have out there, and I read books too, but when it comes down to it, books which we need to to read, they're a man's description or explanation of what he's learned from the Word and from the Spirit of God. And that we need to do that, but don't do that as a substitute for the source of it, which is the Word of God. So Paul is saying, what is able to keep us on focus is because you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise. Now notice, they're able to make you wise, but they don't automatically make you wise. If they're sitting on your living room table or sitting behind, beside your bed and you never open them, they're able to make you wise, but they're just potential. They won't make you wise. And I'm going to suggest to you today that just reading them won't make you wise. But you have to make them part of you. And it's even beyond that. Well, that's what we're going to look at today. For all Scripture, say all Scripture, scripture. is given by inspiration of God. That literally means God breathed. All Scripture, that Bible that's sitting in your lap or on your tablet or whatever device you have, that is breathed by God for us. Just as God breathed into that pile of flesh in Genesis 2 verse 7, breathed his own breath. It's the only creation God made. He took his breath and breathed it into. He didn't breathe it into the dogs. He didn't breathe it into the cows. He didn't breathe it into the apes. He only breathed his breath into that man and he became a living soul. It's the, and the God's breath is in this word. His spirit is in this word. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Say profitable. We talked about being profitable this morning. But, but the foundation of that profitability has to be God's word. It's God's word what work in you that produces the profitability. Because there are businesses out there that know how to be profitable, but not for the kingdom of God. The source of the authority, the source of the power, the source of the wisdom for, the, for us in the kingdom of God to be profitable is the word of God in us, working in us, and coming, bearing fruit out of us. I was in a staff meeting last year when we were talking about kind of reviewing why we do things, how we do things, in, in the basis of doing things. And one of the tendencies today is to take your vision and re- reduce it down to several words, which I like the idea because it's easier to remember. And we were in the process of doing that, and I was away for a week or something, and I came back and they were reporting to me what they'd come up with, and I said, that's great. This is our vision. Okay, now let me ask you this. How does that fit in with the commission of the church, which is in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. That's why I'm here. I'm here because the fivefold ministry gifts are to equip the saints to do the work of the, min- to do the, work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. And I ask this question, this vision we're coming up with, these terms, how does that carry out Ephesians chapter 4. And one of them looked at me and says, that's why you're here. He says, because the difference between what we're doing, what you're talking about, is no different than seeing in a corporate executive committee room. And this is what's going on, I think, in some of the churches out there. They're finding out how we can grow from the corporations. And there are things we can learn from them, but the source of our authority, the source of our purpose is not to make money or even to grow bigger, is to carry out what the kingdom of God's work is here. And the the only source of the life and the authority and the power to do that comes from the commission of God's word and the walking out of God's word in our life and in our church. And that's what Paul is calling Timothy back to and reminding him of. Let's see what this word can do for us. All spirit is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable for doctrine, 
for reproof, for correction, for instruction, for making us feel good, for having wonderful, exciting services. No, those are good. But for instruction and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we're hearing, which we need to be challenged about the good works, but the equipping to do that has to come from the Word of God in our lives and coming out of us. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And in this confusing world, in this world where, where, where good is considered evil and evil is considered good, and there's so much confusion out there today, I mean, they're doing things... We, I'm, I'm isolated from some of these things, and I'm glad to talk to people like Lafayette that travels. And I discovered that, that what they were doing, teaching in the schools about, because we had a big issue come up about transgender bathrooms. And, and, and I, we had a legal team come in that works on this, and they said, no, you don't understand. What they're teaching in school now is your biological body and your gender are two different things, which is insanity. It doesn't reflect reality because I've, I've, been, I've had parents come to me that come back and they've had the ultrasound done. And they said, we're having a boy. And I want to say, how do you know that? You don't know that until they're a certain age and they figured it out by looking inside. So some of these doctrines get so far away from truth that even when they go to apply them, they don't apply it that way. But it's a deception, because what deception is, is when you look at something that's not true, and you're so convinced it's true, that you act as if it is true, because you believe it's truth. And we can become deceived. And the only, the only compass we have for truth is the Word of God. Anytime, but especially in a confusing time that we're in. And my concern is that I'm concerned that the church today, especially with this younger generation, have not had that drilled into them the way this generation has had it drilled into us. And so when we're trying to find a frame of reference for how do I know, because this millennial generation has been taught, it went from what there is an absolute truth that then they were taught that there is no absolute truth. Now what's being taught out there is there's no such thing as truth, which is totally ir- irrational, because then we have no basis to communicate with each other. But that's what's being taught, and it's creeping into the church. It's probably more than creeping into the church. So my question to you today is, this is wonderful for us to sit here and say, yes, amen. But the question to ask you and to ask myself is, what place does God's Word have in my life? That's a serious question to ask us. What place does God's word have in my life? And I'm talking to church people, church men. Is the word of God something that you just you believe in? And we should believe in it. Is the word of God just something you read? Because we should read it. Is the word of God a resource to you? That if I need encouragement, because I'm discouraged. If I need healing, because I'm sick. If I need something, I go to this word because I, the, the word will help guide me, it will protect. And that's good, we should do that. But that's not good enough. The only way this word will work in us, what Paul's talking about, is if this word becomes the authority in my life. Yes, sir. The reason Jesus was so powerful and so effective is not because he was the Son of God, because he laid all those attributes aside. It's one simple thing, two simple things he did, and he told them about himself. He said, I only do, say only, Only. I only do what I see my Father doing. And I only, say only, Only. say what I hear my Father say. That's it. Now, a psychiatrist, if he were to interview Jesus, but say, this man has got a problem because he has no growth, he, has no, he hasn't expanded, he hasn't stretched himself. And yet Jesus was the freest man that ever yes. walked on the earth. He was the most influential man that's ever walked on the earth because he didn't do what he thought was good, 
He only did what he heard, what he saw his father do. And spoke what he heard his father say. In other words, he only did what the word said to do. When he was tempted by the devil, we've all heard this before, how did he deal with the temptation? This is Jesus who knows far more than what's going on here. He knows theology. He knows all this. He didn't reason with the devil. He didn't argue with the devil. What did Jesus say? It is written. Period. One of the, my favorite stories in the New Testament is in, in Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 5. It's the story of the centurion. And in Matthew's version, the centurion comes to Jesus and says, my servant's at home suffering grievously. And I love Jesus' answer, because he's, I'll come. He hadn't asked him to come. I'll come. I believe he comes today. I'll come. And the centurion says, no, 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 no. You don't need to come. In fact, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. All you need to do is say the word. Say the what? Say the word. Now, why did he have confidence that if Jesus spoke to him, he didn't need to go lay hands on him. He didn't need to go anoint him with oil. He didn't need to go to spit in his eye. You know, he just had to, you can say the word, he, say the word, and my servant will be healed there. But he explains why he knew that. He says, because I'm like you. He says, I, he says, I also, that's a key word, am a man under authority. Which means he recognized that Jesus could do what Jesus could do because he was a man under, this is Jesus, under authority of his Father. And then he goes on to say, and I'm in authority because I say to my, my, my soul, one soldier go and he goes and another come and he comes and my servant do this and he does it. So I begin to realize that the source of the, the, the centurion's authority was that he was under authority. And the authority that we have is God's word. And when we get outside of that, well, I'm, gonna, I'm getting ahead of myself. All right, let's go. And this is where I thought he was going to preach this, teach this. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2. Because my comment was going to be, if, if the Bible ended at Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, we wouldn't need the rest of it. If we didn't have chapter 3, we, the rest of it's because of what happens in chapter 3. And I want to look at what happened in chapter 3, because this is the root. This is what we need to get to. Because it's not enough to come away and say, well, you know, I need to read my Bible more. I need to meditate on my Bible more. I need to study my Bible. We need to do all those things. But you can do all those things and not have it have the power in your life. And in these times that we're in, we're going to be get tested. And I think last year you may have spoken about this because there's more and more pressure. It's changed in the last year from when you were here. Of all these foreign, all these Babylonian philosophies, all these other worldviews, not just saying, well, okay, we're out there, but forcing themselves into the church. Let's watch when this first happened. Oh, before we do that, chapter 2, let's look at verse... Um, Let's look at verse 15. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden to tend it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded, say commanded. Notice he didn't suggest. Notice he didn't say, look, you're here to tend this and keep this, to be fruitful, multiply, and I've got some good, good, good instructions for you of how to do this. He commanded. There's only two choices with a command. Obey or disobey. He commanded the man, and this is what he, how he did it. He spoke words. So this is the word of God to Adam. Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for the day you eat of it you shall surely die." So Adam has heard the word. Right after this, God says, it's not good for you to be alone, puts him into sleep, pulls the woman out of him. Now I've heard teachings that she heard this word, 
other teachings she didn't hear it. She got it from Adam. I'm not going to get into that. That's not important for what we're going to say. So now let's go to chapter 3. Now the serpent was more cunning. That word is so powerful. It's so important to grasp this word cunning. Because cunning implies a number of things. Cunning is the opposite of straightforward and direct. I think of a con man. Or nowadays you have these people that call you on the phone. Especially prey on the elderly. I, sh- I started getting emails for a while. I hadn't gotten them for a while because I ignored them. Saying, um, uh, you're, you, we, we've been notified by the, by the IRS that you're being investigated. And this is the law firm such and such. You, know, you need to call us immediately because otherwise you're going to be arrested. Well, I was a lawyer. <laughs> law firms don't send that kind of thing out. And so it's a con but it's designed to play on our fears. So cunning, cunning is when, you can't, when you're not going to be direct. And in relationships, I've found people manipulate when they're afraid to be truthful. Like people come to these Pastor, I love you. And I start to cringing because it's what's going to follow. <laughs> and I don't, don't, you know, don't stop telling me you love me, but, but, but I, I figure if, if you've got to tell me you love me, it's when the butt follows. <laughs> Just be direct with me. And see, God is the God of truth. Everything God does, He does straightforward. Jesus told, was teaching. He said, look, you know, ask and you'll receive. He said, my father's not like you guys. He said, if your son asks you for, for bread, you're not going to trick him and give him a stone. You're going to give him what he asks. If he asks you for a fish, he's not going to trick you and give you a serpent. Well, my father's much better than that. So he's direct. He's straightforward. So cunning is when you're trying to deceive somebody. So the serpent was more cunning than any of the beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said, so here's a word to the woman. Has God said, the very first word out of Satan's mouth is to, listen carefully, is to question God's word to her. Why? Because he knows what that word will do in them. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is teaching what he says is the most important parable. He says, if you can get this one, you're able to receive everything else from me. If you can't get this one, you're going to miss it. And it's the parable of the sower. And the sow, the seed is the word of God. And he talks about that seed is sown, and it's the seed, which is the word of God in us, which begins to produce in us the life of God and the change of God. And the rest of that parable is how Satan puts things in there to oppose it. But the first one is the seed that falls by the wayside. It says the birds came and snatched it up. And when he brings it over to the application, he says Satan comes immediately to steal the word. And that's what he's doing here. He's coming to challenge the word to get her to question God's commandment. We're going to take this apart a little bit. Because this applies to us. Has God said... You shall eat of the tree of the garden. Now, let's stop a second, because I've taught this in in, in church at FCC. In a courtroom, there's an area usually in front of the judge's bench which has a barrier, which is for the lawyers, not just any lawyer, the lawyers in that case, and for the clients. People in the the congregation, people, people have been away from it long enough. People in the gallery don't have a right to stand up and voice their opinion. In fact, you've seen TV shows where they try to do it, and the judge says, sit down or you're in contempt. And, 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 but even the lawyers can't just approach the bench without the judge's approval. Your Honor may have permission to approach the bench. Because there is an authority in that courtroom, and the judge is that authority. So for someone to speak in a courtroom... The judge has to recognize them and give them permission to speak. Here you have a garden that God has created, put under the dominion of Adam and his wife. And the devil's trying to come in to ruin it, and he starts by speaking. The moment she answers him, she gives him standing to speak. You don't have to answer every question. You don't, there's a lot of phone calls I don't answer. 
In fact, I've got a home phone. This, the only purpose of it is to screen calls. So in some application, when you've got to put a phone number down, that's the number I give them. And I don't answer it because what will happen, if you leave a voicemail, it goes to my cell phone and I can read what they're calling about. Because I don't want to listen to everybody that's calling. I want to be in control of who I listen to. Not of them, but discerning what voices I allow to speak into me. And she just answered him on her own initiative. And we'll see where, why and where that got her. Okay. So has God, so all he does is that, did God really say that? First thing he wants us to do is question, was that really what God said? And the woman said to the serpent, of every tree of the garden, of the, every fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat, but of the tree, fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now notice, because she gave him that little bit of wo- opening, look at how bold he gets now. But still, and he began by just questioning it. Did God really say that? And now, because he's got, listen, this is what it is, he's gotten her to question the word. Because when you question something, you're opening your mind up to the possibility that maybe it's something else. Now we're talking about building your life on the Word of God, the authority of the Word of God, in a world where there's all kinds of lies and cunning and deception swirling around us. And how do we discern what is truth and what is not truth? And we're going to see the case here where she opens the door to deception. Just a little bit, not realizing what she was doing, But watch what he does now that she's opened the door. Because the moment she questioned the word, questioned it, she's she's opening to the possibility that there's some other truth out there besides what God said. Her mind's willing to play with the idea there's some other truth than what God's spoken to me. Look at his answer in verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, You shall surely not die. Now he's saying, God's word's not true. She gave him the opening by the question, and now he's plowing through that to challenge that word in her heart and say, God's lied to you. He's not told you the whole truth. For God knows... Now here's what he's suggesting her, is there's truth and knowledge that God has outside of what he's told you. So what he's going to say to her is because there's knowledge and truth outside of what God's told you, you need to go get that knowledge, because that's going to make you someone. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. In other words, when you do, when you, I'll finish here. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the temptation here, this is so important you get this. The temptation here is, now that she's opened the door to ask the question, maybe God's word, maybe there's truth other than what God says about it. Now he's come through to directly challenge it and says, there's yes, there is something God knows out there that he hasn't told you, he's holding back. And if you will go and gain that knowledge, that will make you great. That will make, that will, that knowledge will make you like God. Now if I remember correctly, back in Genesis 1 and 2, didn't he say he made them in his image? He made them in his image. And now the temptation was to make myself better or something than what God made me by opening up to a knowledge God did not give me. And you know the rest of the story. Well, we'll read down because it's important. So the woman, verse 6, saw... This is good. Now her senses are operating. She saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food. So her senses are telling, ooh, this looks good. And it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one, the tree, 
was desirable to make one wise. My Bible tells me wisdom comes only from God. The wisdom of the world will make you wise, but not with God's wisdom. And she took the fruit, and she ate, and she gave it to Shmo, who, I mean, her husband that was with her, and he ate. Bozo, who's just standing there. Now here's what happens. She has God's word. We know she has God's word because she spoke it back. But because she opened the... See, when Jesus spoke the word back to the devil, he wasn't questioning anything. He wasn't defending God. He was just speaking what he's heard. She's questioning and she's now trying to defend what God said, and God never called him to defend her, just obey him. So what the devil's really after is to get her to reason on her own about what truth is, apart from what God said to do. See, God gave us our mind, our imagination, so we can take his word and carry out our assignment in the kingdom. He did not give us our mind and our understanding so we can exercise independent judgment apart from God's word. Because I always wonder, why, did he, why was it the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And then it dawned on me one day, God knows what he's designed us to handle and what he hasn't designed us to handle. I've got a car that has all-wheel drive, but it's not a four-wheel vehicle. So although General Motors designed this car to be able to drive in snow, it's not an off-road vehicle. So if I take this car with four all-wheel drive and try to drive it on, 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 a, on, a, on a terrain somewhere that doesn't have a road, it's, not gonna, it's gonna get stuck because it wasn't designed to do that. I can find out it was designed to do by reading the owner's manual because the engineers and the manufacturers know the limitations and capabilities of that car. God designed us, made us. He knows what he's designed us to know and what he's designed us not to know. And he did not design us to handle the knowledge of good and evil apart from him. All right, now I'm going to go to this next verse with some... Oh, well, let's talk about... um, I mean, her husband there. So obviously he was there. Now, I've heard some teaching that he heard her this and some that he didn't. I don't know. But he, he's there when she takes this fruit and eats it, and then she hands this to him. All right, now I'm going to go to this next one with some fear and trepidation, but I'm going to trust you that you can follow me here. Let's go to... Um, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Yeah. Yeah, you know where I'm going. I don't want to get into this issue. But Paul says, let a woman, verse 11, let a woman be in silence with all submission. I'm not going to go there. Except that word silence in the Greek has an implication of not blurting things out or getting into somebody else's business. I'm really not going there. Here's what I want. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam was not deceived. Now you're going to think, that's good, I wasn't deceived. But the woman being deceived fell into the transgression. So what Paul is saying here is the woman was deceived, but Adam was not deceived. Now to understand what that means you gotta, we're not going to turn there, but in Romans chapter 5, it's talking about man's sin. And it's talking about the sin of man from Adam until Moses, and then after Moses, which is when the law came. And it talks about the breaking point, because between Adam and Moses, what God's saying there through the Spirit of God is that, at, that man sinned, but they didn't know what the requirement was. But from Moses on, he says their sin was in the likeness of Adam's sin. What was Adam's sin? Adam violated a known and understood command of God. So when the law came, man now knew, Israel now knew what God required. The Ten Commandments to start out with. So their disobedience from that point on 
was like Adam's disobedience. He wasn't deceived. He knew what he was doing. He was clearly disobeying the Word of God. So that verse in 1 Timothy isn't, isn't, doesn't let us off. What it says is we have a, he had a responsibility which he violated. And I believe the fall did not happen until he ate it. All right, we survived that. Now let's go to 1 Corinthians 11. Bring it down to where we live. We often use this for communion, but there's some verses before that. I'm in 2 Corinthians, that's why it doesn't work. Start in verse 2. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things, and keep to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, that the head of woman is the man. Whoa, yeah, there we go. And the head of Christ is God. I don't want you going home from here telling your wife, the pastor John said, I'm your head, now you need to do what I say. Because let's look at the whole verse. What does this word head mean? It doesn't mean boss. It means responsibility. It means covering. It means protection. Because there's a flow here. What Paul is saying is that Christ had a head, which is his father. We just saw that. He said, I only do what I see my father doing, and I only say what I hear my father saying. In other words, I only do what the word says. I only speak what the word says. And then he goes on to say, and Christ is the head of man. And then man's the head of the woman. And we want to take that and run off and say, I'm the boss here. No, 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 let's go back. We're at the bottom of the, tr- of the pile here because as Christ, as the Father was the head of Christ, Christ has to be our head first. That means he's our protection. He's our source of our authority. He's our source of our direction, our purpose comes from him and remember Christ is also the word in the beginning was the word and the word was with God so it's as we are under this authority of this word as our life is committed to and founded on the principles of this word and our life's purpose is committed to this word and carrying out the purpose of this word we are underneath his headship and then our wives can come underneath ours. And I believe that the way this is intended by God because if Jesus said if you want to know what the Father's like, look at me. Because I'm perfectly under his headship. That means his intention is if you want to know what Jesus is like, you ought to be able to look at us us men. Didn't he say that? The world's going to know what I'm like by the relationship that you have with one another. So if you look at me You should see Christ, and since you're seeing Christ, you should see the Father. Now let's bring that home with us. That means if I'm under his authority, under his word, I'm living my life based on his word, then my wife should see that in me. So the way this should finally work is if this is flowing correctly, when you see my wife, you ought to see what the Father's like. Because that reflection has passed on perfectly down, but it can only pass down perfectly down where we're perfectly aligned, committed to, and living under that model that's above us. I'm not saying it's easy to do, but that's got to be our goal. And God's put His Spirit in us, and He's given us this Word, so we can do it. If He's called us to do something, we can do that. Okay. I'm going to end with just a couple of scriptures. Matthew chapter 7. Some of my favorites. Jesus is just finishing up what we call the Sermon on the Mount. We're talking about the Word as the authority in our life, the Word as the the benchmark to truth. Because you're hearing all kinds of things out there that, that can make sense if you reason in them apart from the Word of God. Jesus says in verse 24, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, the Word and does them, I will liken him to a man who built his house on the rock. 
And the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was its fall. What's the difference? Same house, same design, same workman, same builder. The only difference is what it was built on. What he's saying here is the only way for your life to be stable, especially as we're going out into the world, especially as we're going out to other arenas. And, and, and because here's, I remember years ago hearing some young Christians say, well, God's called me to evangelize. That's why I go to the bars. <laughs> really? Well, let's find out who's influencing whom. Because I knew a young man, it was when you were in school, when you were young, Chris, there was this high, in the school that he went to back in Oklahoma, there was a senior that would left school and he would walk by this one bar every day on his way home. And one day he felt the Spirit of God lead him to go in there. And he went in that bar and just started standing around tables preaching the Word of God. And people started mocking him. And the, 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 the bartender said, wait a minute. This young man's coming here to speak something that's of his heart. He cleared the tables off, made them sit down, stopped drinking, and gave him a chair to stand on and preach the word. Now, who had the influence there? He brought the influence there. But he was filled with the word. He was filled with the Spirit of God. He wasn't using that as an excuse to hang out with his old buddies. So if we're going to be of an influence in the world, what is it we're influencing with? We have to have the strength, as Jesus had to have, to be among a a world that he was among and not be pulled off. And so that our lives are not shaken. Read one other verse here. Joshua 1.8. I'll read one after this. This has got to be... Because Joshua has taken over from Moses. This is the only book that starts out... You should never start a book on, 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 on bad news, but it starts out, Moses was dead. (laughs) <laughs> and you're in charge and now he says, says him three times in here to be only courageous so he's dealing with two plus million people that God's trying to get somewhere they don't want to go and trying to go back to where they were and try, and, and, and then they've, they've just refused to go in and God has to tell him what to do he says only be strong and of very courage that you may observe to do according all that the law in other words the word which Moses my servant commanded you only do not turn aside to the right or the left don't get off into other things other theories about how to do this that you may prosper where you go verse 8 family verse for the book of this law shall not depart from your mouth what do we talk about what are we talking about this politician, I don't like this person, this is terrible with the economy, all these things complaining about what's going on in the world, then we're thinking like the world, and we talk like the world, the world's influencing us. What you and I have, that's only, the only thing you and I have that's powerful enough to influence the word, is the Spirit of God on the inside of us, because that's what Jesus told them to be full of before they went out, and the Word of God on the inside of us coming out of our mouth. That doesn't mean you stand on a corner and say the world's coming to an end. But as it comes, as you're filled with it in the situations, God's word will begin to come out of you. But this is how you get it in you. You shall meditate on it day and night and that you may observe to do. So you meditate on it so that you will do it according to all that's, ri- all that's written in it, the full counsel of the gospel, that you may make your way prosperous and that you may have good success. So it's the Word of God in us that has an authority in our lives that is our source of truth that's working its will, God's will in us beginning to come out of us that will keep us on course that has the authority and the power and the grace to influence the world that's around us. And I'll close by quoting this verse which is about the church. Again, Timothy, Paul writing to Timothy, giving him instructions. These things I write to you, though I come to, hope to come to you shortly. But if I'm delayed, I write these so that you know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church. The word church means literally called together out of this world for a purpose, 
which is the group of people that have called together out of this world for a purpose of the living God, the church, a pillar, and the ground and foundation of truth. We are today the only source of truth in this dark world. And if we don't keep the truth at the center of our hearts, at the center of our minds, and in our actions, then that light is going to get dimmed and it's going to go out. And if this light goes out, there is no light in the world. So let's pray. Well, I want you to take a moment. We're going to pray at the end. And I want you just to reflect in your own life, to be honest with yourself. What place does God's Word have in my life? When I have to make a difficult decision, what do I turn to? Or is the Word of God just some counsel or advice? Or is this just something I have in my house? And I want you to just take a moment and to reflect on that. And now I want you to think for a moment, all right, what do I need to do differently to go to that next level of commitment? And when you come up with it, I want you to write it down on those notes from the first section so you'll take it home with you. Take a moment to do that. Only you can look in the depths of our heart. And we're asking you this morning by the Spirit of God who lives in us that you would begin to open the eyes of our heart. David said, search my hearts. Lord, search our hearts and help us to see in the actual practical application in our lives what place your word has in our lives so that we may live our life in a way that's pleasing to you, that's not just according to your precepts, so that the authority and the life and the power of your word and your kingdom is operating in us, in our families, and through us into whatever network or arena that we go so that we might be the influence in the world and not be confused and overcome by the world. May we have boldness from your word, Father, and from your spirit because this group of men that's in here is a very crucial men for this community and for this area, for what you want to do. I just feel that by the spirit. What's being done in here today is not just another men's meeting, but this is the Spirit of God speaking to this group of men because there is something that these men are called to be and to do in this area, in this community, because there's something that you want to do, Father. And so capture our hearts by your word, Father. And for that we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 And amen.